welcome to Dads with Daughters. In this show, we spotlight dads, resources, and more to help you be the best dad you can be. So excited to have you back again this week in the Dads with Daughters community. You know, every week I am so blessed to be able to have amazing dads with us, be able to talk about their own journey as fathers, because you know, all of our journeys are a little bit different. And this week, another great dad that we have. Brandon Heath is with us this week, and we're going to be talking to him about not only being a dad, but being a singer and the music that he creates. And I am really excited to be able to talk to him. Brandon, thanks so much for being here today. Thanks for having me, Chris. Good to be here. I always love starting these interviews and really delving deep into you as a dad. And I know you've got two little ones. We were just talking about that. And I was reminiscing back to the times when my girls were as young as yours. But I want to turn the clock back in time, back to that first moment, that first moment when you found out that you were going to be a dad to a daughter. Tell me about that experience and what was going through your head. Well, uh, to be a dad to a daughter or just to be a dad in in particular? Let's talk about both. Okay. So my wife and I, we had a little trouble getting pregnant in our first go round. We thought we could plan things out and we were like, okay, we're going to wait a year and and we're going to try for kids. And then it it ended up taking, you know, a couple of years for us to get pregnant. But I remember (laughs) my wife had a pregnancy test. And I think, I believe we were at home and she took it and it showed positive. And so we just jumped up and down around the kitchen and we didn't believe it. And so we had to go buy a whole like six pack of pregnancy tests (laughs) to make sure that it was true. And I mean, I remember even being at a gas station later that evening and my wife CB went in and just to be like, do you want me to go test again? Like right now, just to make sure, because we couldn't believe it. So it took and it was easily one of the most exciting days of my life. I had one freak out moment, believe it or not, on a flight from Nashville to Chicago. I remember landing in Chicago and just looking down at, you know, a very densely populated city. And I was just overwhelmed with this kind of like, I can't always protect my baby girl, you know? And at that point, I don't even know that I knew that she was a girl. I may have not known, but I was feeling the pressure of providing and protecting and, you know, all those natural dad instincts. And then a couple of weeks later, I wrote this song called Faith, Hope, Love, Repeat, which was the title track of my last record. And on that day, I, and I wrote it for my, my newborn baby, And on that day, that was the day that my wife told me that we were having a girl. So she surprised me when I got home and I was like, hey, I got a new song to play. And she was like, well, I've got something for you, too. And I opened up this gift and it was a little tutu that said daddy's girl on it. That's how I found out. So I was pretty pumped about it, to be honest. Now you have two daughters and every dad that has multiple kids, every child seems to be just a little bit unique from one another. You just talked about your first child. Now, sometimes dads going into their second child, they want to balance it out. You know, they want to have a girl and a boy. I saw the interview that you did with People Magazine, and it seemed you were just as excited to have another daughter. So talk to me about that. Yeah, I think they may have even posted the video when I found out about it. My other little girl was not happy about it. She kind of like threw a tantrum, which I don't think that she really understood what was going on, but I was laughing like hysterically about it. But yeah, I mean, for me, I already knew what it was to have a little girl. I knew the feeling of 
like, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily want to raise a little princess, you know, I think the, the word princess comes with some baggage and, and one of those bags is like entitlement. I don't want them to think that they just deserve everything, you know, because we live in America and we, we can order anything online and have it within a few days or a few hours. And I wanted her to understand what it was to know what a blessing is, that, that things are a blessing that we're not, you know, we're not just entitled to everything. So I was, I was scared to kind of dress her up like a princess but I can't stop it. Like they just want to be princesses. <laughs> I mean, between watching Disney movies and then this natural inclination to just be dainty and, you know, pretty. Not to say that only princesses are pretty, but they just want to be frilly. They just, she just loves the color pink, you know. Actually, she just recently, I'm talking about my three year old, has told me she loves the color red. And then my two-year-old loves the color yellow. So I guess those are kind of gender neutral colors, but I certainly want them to be in touch with their natural femininity and who they are. So, you know, I also get them out in the backyard and I let them play with bugs and with the dirt. So that's just me trying to have sons at the same time, but I, I definitely have daughters. I completely understand what you're saying there. Now, you have a busy life. You know, you you not only tour and you have your music and you're balancing all of this like a lot of dads are. You are balancing it in a different way. You know, you're having to travel and do some other things too. Talk to me about balance and and how you have found balance in your life and being able to balance not only your professional self, but your personal self. You know, I'm still figuring that out, Chris. I don't have like a straightforward answer. What I am learning, you know, I have to travel a lot. And what I'm trying to do is only do weekends rather than do these like 10 day stretches where I'm gone for a long time. And what I'm also trying to avoid is popping in and out. Like last week, for instance, I did that. I played, let's see, I think I was in Florida and then I was in Colorado and then I was in Tulsa. So, and then I would sleep at home on the nights in between. And it really threw things off for my girls and for my wife. And she just requested that I not do that anymore. And sometimes it's unavoidable. But I think what we're trying to do is to still have some consistency with my travel that on the weekends, I'm just gone on the weekends, which thankfully that's when most concerts happen. But like this week, I'm going to do a radio promo tour. And so I'm going to be gone Monday, Wednesday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. So we're going to try to treat that like the weekend. So the girls are kind of getting accustomed to like two to three nights of me being away. But it's always a challenge not to come home and to throw off the dynamic at home. So that's what we're still trying to figure out. I wouldn't call it a balance quite yet, but we're working on it. I think we all try to do that and it's not an easy thing to do and it's continuously throughout their lives because, you know, I, I said to you prior to us going live, I've got teenagers and you're still trying to find balance when they're teenagers too and trying to give your girls the attention that they need and they want, but at the same time, trying to provide them with the autonomy that they need in their lives as well. And it's it's never an easy thing. One of the things that I hear from a lot of dads raising daughters is this sense of 
fear, fear of raising daughters in today's society. As you look at raising your daughters, and I say that word, and I say fear to you and a fear of raising daughters. So what are your biggest fears in raising daughters today? I would say that when they get into their teenage years, social media is probably my main fear. I don't know if it would be different for boys than girls, but I think girls in particular, they compare themselves a lot to what they are seeing online and what we display in our social media is often not realistic. And so I'm afraid of my girls being body shamed or that they feel that they need to portray something that's not easily attainable, whether that be wealth or whether it be different looking body parts that need to be fuller or not as full and that they would feel as though that they need to go under the knife to change those things. And I have to be careful with that. There's people out there that do that and they think it's totally okay. But from a dad's heart, I would want my daughter just to be proud of how God made her. And like my wife, she has a little mole right here that she's, it's a beauty mark. And we really taught our girls to celebrate little beauty marks. That's what it is. It makes mommy more beautiful. And so we try to celebrate the way that God has made us. And I don't want to get into this philosophical thing, whether it's okay to change your appearance or not, but I don't want the pressure. I'm afraid of the pressure on them to be something that they're not. You know, I, I've seen that and you can Google it out there and it can scare the dickens out of you as you look at media portrayal of women and even looking at how media can change the appearance of women to show them in a certain way, especially for ads or things like that. And having those conversations with your girls is important because what they're seeing in media may not be what is actually what the person looks like. And I hear you because it it definitely is something that's out there and they see it all the time and they grow up with it. And it's a challenge. I think girls really face that more than, than guys do. I think that's the unique challenge of being a woman. Women do have more full features and you see makeup aisles that are full. They're just aisle after aisle after aisle of makeup. And I think makeup's awesome. You know, my wife went to esthetician school. She loves putting on makeup. She doesn't do a ton, but she wants to accentuate features on her face. And I think that's great. I don't have any problem with that. And I'm certainly not going to like tell somebody that they should change the way that they are. But what I don't, what I don't like is the comparison game. And honestly, listen, man, I struggle with comparison as a man. I don't spend a ton of time in the, the mirror. I probably should spend more time in front of the mirror. But when it comes to like status or it comes to accomplishments or did I take my family on as good of a vacation as this other family did, you know, it's competing with the Jones. Like it's a struggle that I have. And I think that's why I'm afraid that they're going to have that as well. So I try to nip it in the bud with myself before I do with my daughters. So we'll cross that bridge when we get there. I try not to be too anxious, but they are, I, I can already tell that they're, they're two strong women. And we're going to compliment that. And we're going to encourage that because I, I think that's what we need is good, strong leaders in women. And thankfully, we're seeing more and more of that. You know, I think as a father for you, one of the things that I see is, is not only when we're talking about balance, but it's that persona. You have to have a certain persona for your fans. And you have to also be dad. In talking to other individuals that have a public persona, there is a feeling that I've gotten that there's this aspect of I need to protect and I need to protect my 
family from the craziness that can be my public persona. As you look at that yourself, how do you have to separate to be able to safeguard or protect the, the personal side of who you are? One thing, and, and, and often family does bleed over into professional life because honestly, as a songwriter, that's what I want to write about. That's my job is to imitate life with art and to say things that people don't know how to say, but they certainly feel it. So I have to let them cross over, but I'll find myself at times not ignoring, but not giving them the time that they need during my work day. Like, no, this is when daddy works. And this has been a challenge with the pandemic because so many of us have been working from home is that they want your time and you also you have to work on your career you have to do things like they're upstairs playing right now dad's downstairs doing interviews and i try to go up and give them a hug in between i had one before this so it is a luxury to get to do that because it could be that i'm gone all day so i i love uh giving them time but I find myself sometimes saying, not now. And that's when I feel like career can step on what's important. So hopefully that answers your question. But I'm certainly trying to figure out how to do both, especially with working from home. Completely understand. I've had to work from home since March of 2020. So that balance and trying to, even with teenagers at home, I completely understand. And sometimes they call me a troll because I'm down in the basement. It's funny, man. I, I love, I can see your basement. I see your workout gear behind you, like the rollers. I had to hide one here. I'm going to get it. It was sitting on this bench behind me. And I was like, wait, people can see my workout gear. But that's what it is, man. Our basements have become our offices. They really have. Our broadcast centers. And, you know, I think it's kind of, I don't know, because we're all in the same boat, it's kind of fun. It's like we have to take ourselves a lot less serious these days. And that's a good thing. Now, you talked about trying to find that balance and find ways to be able to still connect with your daughters. What are your favorite things to do with each of your daughters? My daughter, Palmer, she loves to work in the backyard with me. So we will go pick up sticks and she loves to collect rocks. She's always like adding to her quote unquote collection. So that's been kind of fun. Just having a little buddy in the backyard. Elliston, my two-year-old, who you might be able to hear cry right now, I push her around the neighborhood in a stroller and she just likes to look. She just likes to look around, but she is independent like I, I mentioned earlier. So sometimes she'll just want to walk and then dad's got to keep up with the stroller and try to hold her in at the same time. So we're learning with our two-year-old, but for both of them, you know, my wife encouraged this about nine months ago is to get special time with each of them. Uh, so 15 minutes a day with each of them and you let them call the shots. So you do it, whatever they want to do for 15 minutes. And I'm not always good at it consistently, but I, that's one goal that we do try with both of them is to give them special time. That's so important. And I mean, especially if you're traveling and you're trying to keep that balance, I'm sure that that definitely falls into that as well. Now, I mentioned at the beginning, you are a musician, you're a songwriter, a contemporary Christian musician, singer and songwriter, and you've had a number of albums out there and you've got music coming out. But I, I, I want to go back to the beginning of your career because, you know, when I was looking up and trying to do a little research prior to this and looking at kind of the way you got into singing and singing specifically with Christian music, I found that really interesting because it seemed like 
your early life, you really didn't have that type of a religious background, but you kind of fell into it. So talk to me a little bit about that and what drew you into Christian music and what continues and continues that passion with your music today? What originally drew me into Christian music was I was just naturally writing my story, which we call in faith circles, your testimony. I was writing my testimony into songs. I've always liked story songs. And that was just kind of like a natural inclination for me. I grew up in Nashville, Tennessee, so music is is very much a part of my culture, but country music especially, which is, you know, big in story, but they're also proud to talk about their faith in country music. And so that's what I, I thought I might be a country songwriter when I was a kid, but people, I was working with this organization called Young Life, and it's an outreach to high school kids. That's where I started to share my first songs. And they really connected with my faith songs. And so I thought, maybe this is what I'm good at. Maybe this is what I need to do. And I had a producer that I was in a men's group with in Nashville. I mean, it really is true. If you want to get in the music business, just move to Nashville. Like everybody's in it. (laughs) You'll be in a Bible study with somebody. But he ended up being my producer on my first five records, got me a record deal. It really was kind of an invitation into the music industry, into the Christian music industry by this producer. That is what got me into it. But The reason that I agreed to it is that I was proud to talk about my faith journey. And I was okay that my audience was going to primarily be people who believe in Jesus Christ. I was okay with that. I had a ton of other friends who were doing pop music and country music who are running the city these days. They're doing great. But this was my path. And I've always really kind of loved my niche, being a storyteller, but also, you know, making it commercial and thankfully having some commercial success. Now, I know you've got a, a brand new single that's out uh, that is just hitting the airwaves called Human Nature. Talk to me about that. And for someone that hasn't heard it yet, what was the impetus or the background to why you wanted to write that song? I had just watched this documentary, which I need to double check this, but I believe it's called Identical Strangers. And it was about these three triplets, these three boys that were separated at birth. And they found each other in their 20s. And it was all over the news in the early 80s because it was just such a bizarre thing. Nobody knew why they were separated, but they were identical triplets. And they kind of became local celebrities in New York City. And, um, you know, it was fun at first, but then it dawned on them like, hey, what happened? Who would be so cruel as to separate us? And they realized that they shared this common bond where they had this sort of like separation anxiety under the surface that they couldn't explain, but something didn't seem quite right. And then when they found each other, they realized that, man, we've been missing each other. And we've also kind of been living the secret. And so I literally watched that documentary the night before I brought it into some songwriters, friends of mine. And I wanted to sound like Orphan Annie because these three boys were adopted and I wanted to sound like Hard Knock Life. And so That's where we started. And I just spouted out the line, we're not God's problem. We are God's children. And so many of us, we often feel this rub, like what's wrong in the world? What's wrong with me? Why am I feeling empty? And so that's how I was feeling when I met Jesus. And there was something that felt like a loose end that was tied together when I found out who I was, that I was 
created by God and that Jesus was the reason that I could know God. And so I've written about that for years, but I've never come from this perspective of separation like these triplets experienced. And I just saw these kids lined up hoping that someone would accept them at the orphanage. And to me, that's where our creator comes in and says, hey, you're my child. I created you. I accept you and you're loved. And that's really what the song is about coming off of watching that documentary. It's a great story. And I, I guess I would say is for, for people that have never written a song, and you kind of talked about earlier, the fact that you try to bring in your own story, your own t testimony about your own life, but also what you see around you. Talk to me about that process that you go through when something hits you and you find that there is something there and that you really want to tell that story through song. Yeah, I mean, often it's other people's stories like this one, but sometimes it's my own. I really enjoy the challenge of taking on a, a character and writing from a character's perspective, but there's something about doing it through story that helps people understand it or to make it their own. I believe that there's something about story that connects with people. And so for me, that's the approach that I take. Like one of the, my most popular songs is a song called Wait and See. And I just basically tell my story of how I grew up. I was born in Tennessee, late July humidity. Doctor said I was lucky to be alive. And then I kind of go on to say I wasn't very good in school, but I figured out I could sing. And God just has a way of meeting you in your broken story. So I think that's why I love that approach. And I myself can really relate. You just find yourself immersed in the story. And if you can do that with a song, it's just like, ah, people can really own it. And that's why I like that approach. So I'm sure that you've got lots of ideas and you've got lots of probably starts to, to concepts that you work on. And, you know, if you're like a lot of other songwriters, what would you say as someone that is constantly writing stories and sharing stories, whether they come to a full fruition of a song, how many stories are you working on at a time? You know, usually like maybe one or two. I'm not a multitasker, but songs just kind of, they happen when they happen. Ideas happen when they happen. I often write with co-writers because I feel like that motivates me to finish a song. So, you know, I've got a ton of unfinished songs out there, but when it's a good story, when it's a good song, I will always come back to it and try to finish it. But I do implore my co-writers to help me with that because I get a little distracted or defeated. I'm just like, ah, it's too hard. Just going to start a new one. But I think songwriting should be easy and it should be hard. You know, sometimes you just, you need to put a little work into it to make it great. It's not hard to make it good, but I think it, I think it can be hard to make it great. And it, and it deserves the attention and the rewriting and the editing. And then just really thinking through, is this the strongest way to pursue or to portray what I'm trying to tell? I love that. And as I said, you have this new single that's out. I'm sure that there is an album coming out here soon. Tell me about kind of what's happening next with you. You're talking about you're on the road, you're, you're touring, that you've got some new music coming out as well. So what's next? Yeah. So I am currently writing for my eighth studio album. I don't know the title yet, but it usually comes from one of the songs being written. So hopefully in the next couple of months, I'm going to wrap that up. And then it should be out 
January or February of next year. So the goal is to have it in by Thanksgiving. So that's what I'm doing right now. As far as touring, I've actually been playing backyards during the pandemic. It's been fun. So like house parties around the country, but as venues have been opening up, uh, I got to play Red Rocks last week. So that was kind of good to be in front of a lot of people and to feel semi-normal again. So yeah, with my professional life, I just signed with a new record label. So that's kind of fun called Centricity Music. So I've got a new team and they're really encouraging me to be as creative as I want to be. So I'm really thankful for that. It's always important to have people in your corner and not only within your own family, but the people that are backing you, especially in the industry that you're in. So so congratulations on that. Now, if people want to find out more about the album or where you're going to be, where's the best place for them to go? You could go to my website, which is brandonheathmusic.com, or I update pretty regularly my Instagram feed. So You can go and see pictures of my girls there. And then what's going on in my world. That's the best way to find me. Now, I always finish our interviews with what I like to call our Fatherhood Five, where I ask you five questions to delve deeper into you as a father. Are you ready? I'm ready. In one word, what is fatherhood? Patience. It definitely is. When when was the time that you finally felt that you succeeded at being a father to a daughter? When I made her laugh for the first time. (laughs) I feel like that's my role is to make her laugh, to make them laugh. Oh, I remember those those baby laughs and those giggles. It just gets into your soul. Yeah. I think maybe it would be a tie with when I successfully changed one of those really bad blowout diapers. Yeah. Those are tough. Those are very tough. <laughs> now, if I was to ask your daughters, how would they describe you? as a dad. Palmer would say, I'm silly. She says, oh, dad, you're silly. And then Elliston would say that she just likes me to hold her. So she constantly saying, hold you. So she probably would say, hold you. If you asked her, that's the best a two-year-old could probably do with that answer. Now, who inspires you to be a better dad? Oh man, I have been incredibly blessed with some great father figures. I lost my dad three years ago. Goodness gracious. He died in 17. So it might be even longer than that. Four years ago. I'm doing the math right now. He died in September of 17. So I've, I've really leaned into a lot of father figures and mentors and I've had some great ones. So two who come to mind, a guy named Bob Goff, who is an author, but I knew Bob before he was an author. He was a big reason why I signed a record deal. He talked me into it. And then there's another guy named Al Andrews who meets with a lot of us here in Nashville. He's a counselor, but he's just, ugh, he's a sage. And so thankful for Al Andrews and Bob Goff, two of my favorite father figures. I've read some of Bob's stuff and he's a great writer. I've talked to him on email a couple of times and he just seems like he's a, a really great guy. He is a great guy. You should talk to him about being a dad of a girl. Yeah. I would love that. Yeah. He's great. Let's make that happen. He's got a girl and two boys, but he's a fun interview. Now, as you look back, you've given a lot of different advice and given your own experience as a father, but what's one piece of advice that you would give to other dads? One thing that I'm learning to do, you know, I'm certainly not ready to write an instruction book on fatherhood, but is to say, I'm sorry. I just remember my dad having a really hard time with saying he was sorry. He saw it as a sign of weakness and I see it as a sign of strength. When you can go to your daughter and you can say, 
hey, daddy didn't mean to yell at you when he said that. And just to say, I'm feeling a little anxious today. And so it's not you, it's me. You're a good girl and I love you. And I'm sorry that I yelled at you. I just feel like that's strength. That is real manhood right there. Owning your stuff and not making somebody else feel like it's their fault, but also being willing to lead with humility. So that's what I'm trying to do with my daughters. In that sense, I don't worry about them ever knowing that they're loved, especially by their dad, because that's critical. Well, I truly appreciate you sharing that. And I wish you all the best as you keep working on your album and as you're going out and you're, you're playing more venues. My hope is that the venues stay open and that you're able to continue sharing your testimony with others. And I just want to say thanks for being here today. Thank you, Chris. Thanks for a great interview. If you've enjoyed today's episode of the Dads with Daughters podcast, we invite you to check out the Fatherhood Insider. The Fatherhood Insider is the essential resource for any dad that wants to be the best dad that he can be. We know that no child comes with an instruction manual, and most dads are figuring it out as they go along. And the Fatherhood Insider is full of resources and information that will up your game on fatherhood. Through our extensive course library, interactive forum, step-by-step roadmaps, and more, you will engage and learn with experts, but more importantly, dads like you. So check it out at fatheringtogether.org. If you are a father of a daughter and have not yet joined the Dads with Daughters Facebook community, there's a link in the notes today. Dads with Daughters is a program of Fathering Together. Find out more at fatheringtogether.org. We look forward to having you back for another great guest next week, all geared to helping you raise strong, empowered daughters and be the best dad that you can be. We're all in the same boat. And it's full of tiny screaming passengers We spend the time We give the lessons We make the meals We buy them presents Bring your A-game Cause those kids are growing fast The time goes by just like a dynamite blast Calling astronauts and firemen, carpenters and muscle men. Get out and be the world to them. Be the best dad you can be. Be the best dad you can be.